morning we trust that you have already felt the presence of God. I always like to say that because without that, there's no reason to gather. Amen? I need to get, I need one more. Give me just a second. I need about four more hands and I'd be in good shape. You grab your Bible and open it to the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verse 5. That's where we're going to start this morning. Proverbs 24, verse 5. More volume? Okay. So one thing about the sound system, and any of the worship team can attest to this, testing one, two. How's that? Is that better? That uh, we wiggle all the buttons, and we twist all the knobs, and we slide all the sliders, and we get it sounding really good during rehearsal, uh, and then come time for service, and when you add bodies to the mix... Uh, you guys don't know this, but you absorb a lot of uh, sound waves. And so uh, if you see us kind of uh, panicking with the sound system sometimes, we're just adjusting it to make it, make it sound right. So uh, I trust you found it. There Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 5. It says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, that last phrase there. A man of knowledge enhances his might. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you again. Lord, as we have spent time already in your presence to, to worship you and to lift up praises unto you, God, because you're worthy of that. And now as we, we turn our attention to your word, we realize how much we desperately need it. We're not here, God, just to hear a sermon, not to just hear me talk and, and to say something that might inspire us to do a little better this week. God, we're here to hear a word that you can speak into the depths of our soul that will start changing us. God, that will strengthen us, that all that we have, God, will be directed to you, that the strengths you have given us might gain might. The weaknesses that we have, Lord, as human beings might begin to lose their power and their strength over our life. We need you. I need your, your anointing this morning that you can speak this word through me in a way, God, that will honor you and edify this church body here today. And we trust you to do so, and I pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Everybody give me a big shout of amen this morning. Amen. amen. A wise man is full of strength. So anybody that's got a little brains and is wise understands, first of all, that he needs strength. Okay, no big uh, revelation there. But a man of knowledge enhances his might. He takes what strength he has, and he makes it bigger, and he makes it stronger. Uh, I want to kind of let you in this morning on a, on a prayer. It's basically been the prayer of my heart uh, for the past, I don't know, a few weeks or so. Um, this prayer has just been in my spirit. It's passed through my mind over and over and over again. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share this with you this morning uh, and encourage you to pray this same prayer. And the prayer basically is this, Lord, strengthen my strengths and weaken my weaknesses. That's pretty simple. Say it with me. Lord, strengthen my strengths and weaken my weaknesses. And that's what the scripture says, that a man that's got any knowledge or wisdom at all will take what is already strong in him and make it stronger. His wisdom, his might will be enhanced. Amen? So strengths, our strengths are the things that we do well. It's the things that we get right. Okay? Now when I say to you, when I, when I talk to you about your strengths, something should automatically come to mind. Something you're good at. Something that you generally, for the most part, have a tendency to get right. Our weaknesses are the things in our life that trip us up. The things that get us down. Amen? Uh, 
the things that we don't quite get right all the time, the things that we struggle with. We're weak in that particular area of our life. And so God wants to strengthen our strengths uh, so that those areas of our life are what actually lead us. How many of you know that it's not a good thing when our weaknesses are what lead us? Amen? When our weaknesses are what ultimately drive the direction of our life, that that leads in disaster. But when we are led by our strengths, we're operating in the gifts that God has given us, and ultimately our life is going in a direction that God wants it to go. So in order for God, if this is the prayer of our heart, Lord, strengthen my strengths, weaken my weaknesses, then ultimately before God can can perform that in our life, uh, two things got to take place. Number one, we got to know what those strengths are. Before I can say, God, strengthen my strengths, I got to know what I'm strong at, what I'm good at, what I'm able to do and what I'm not able to do. We got to know what our strengths are, and two, we got to admit what our weaknesses are. Amen? That's probably the thing that we find the hardest to do, admitting our weaknesses, Acknowledge sometimes we find it hard to find our strengths. By the way, this, doesn't ju- this applies to individuals. This also applies to churches. I mean, I've, I've prayed this prayer for myself as an individual that the strengths that God has given me would only grow stronger and that the weaknesses I have would only grow weaker. Uh, but I pray that same thing for this church. I believe that every church has its strengths. And I believe that every church has its weaknesses. Now, we can focus all day long on the weaknesses Get all bummed out about the weaknesses, both in our church and in our individuals, in our individual lives. Um, Or we can just commit those weaknesses to Jesus, ask him to let them lose power in our life, and give give everything we've got to pursuing and enhancing and cultivating our strengths, which ultimately is what God wants us to do. I I was listening to, I went to a pastor's conference here a year or two ago. And a man by the name of Carl Vaders was the speaker. Uh, forgive me, I can't remember which, what church it is uh, he pastors, but he wrote a, a book. It's called The Grasshopper Myth. And ultimately what, what, his, uh, what he's talking about is that in a, in, a, in a church world where everybody's out to, to start some sort of mega church, he's just talking about the importance and the power uh, of the smaller churches. The, I think the majority of churches in America, about 80, over 80% of churches, are uh, congregations of 200 or less. And he said one day he was just kind of discouraged. He was doing a funeral. And the, 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 his church uh, would do meals for people who, had, uh, who was having a funeral. And he said he, was, he did a funeral one day, and they were, he was at the meal. His church had provided this meal for, for the family. And he said, I was just discouraged. And I looked around. And I said, God, but the, the only thing we do good is, is funeral meals. And he said, just to me, that was a bad thing. I, that's all we do good around here is Meals for funerals. He said, then all of a sudden the light bulb come on. He goes, wait a minute. We do this well. We, we do meals for, for families who are going through hard times, who have lost a loved one. We do this good. And all of a sudden it was a strength. All of a sudden he looked at it as a good thing and not a negative thing. So he just said, I, what I did, I went down to the funeral home in our town. And I told them, I said, here's what our church is going to offer to you as a funeral home, to this community, and to the families of this community who lose loved ones. Any family who loses a loved one, 
Our church will do a meal for them. We don't even have to operate the funeral, but we will provide the meal if they want that. And he said, you wouldn't believe what, what God did through that. I mean, they just, they just took their strength and they made it stronger and they blessed their community in, a, in an amazing way. To me, that was just a, a great thing. So we, we look into our life, we have to know what our strengths are. Our strength is not the PA system, obviously. I don't know why that's fuzzing like it is, but it is. So just work through the, bear with me through the uh, crud here. Um, part of the problem is I move around too lot, a lot, and I think that somebody did this on purpose. They got me a mic where I have to stand perfectly still just to see if I can do it. I can't do it. So um, what are our weaknesses? And we have to admit, we have to be able to admit what our, our weaknesses are, know what our strengths are. And the thing about it is this, we all have both. So don't kid yourself. We can't kid ourselves. We all have both. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. We should never sell ourselves short concerning our strengths, but we don't want to get puffed up concerning our weaknesses either. Amen? Acting like we don't have either. Sometimes we have a tendency to, we want to operate in this false humility. Okay, number one, let me say this. It's not necessarily arrogant um, to, to acknowledge that you have a strength. Sometimes we, we take on this false humility. We feel like if we acknowledge that we're strong in a certain area, that we're being prideful. If you stand up here and say, well, I'm good at this and I'm good at that, that might be prideful. But to acknowledge God has gifted me in this area is not a prideful thing. And we take on this, this uh, false humility, and we can't do that. We have to acknowledge what those strengths are. Uh, but then we can also, in our pride, nobody would say they don't have any weaknesses. We all, we all know that we have them. And when I say what is your weaknesses? I guarantee you every single mind in this place went to something. My, mine does. I mean, every, and everybody's is different. Your weaknesses aren't necessarily any worse than mine, and your strengths aren't any, necessarily any greater than mine, but we know what those are. We have to identify them. And so here's the thing. Here's, here's the warning I believe that the Word of God gives us. is ultimately this, that our weaknesses, if they're left unchecked, okay, you've got them, acknowledge it, but if they're left unchecked, then our weaknesses will gain strength in our life. Amen? And that's the last thing we want. We want our strengths to gain strength in our life. So let me give you an example from Scripture, because that's why we have Scripture. Who was the, help me out here, who's the strongest man we read about in the Bible? Samson. Why do you say that? Because he was strong. He was he was very powerful in physical strength. No man has ever been as strong as he was. We, we read where uh, Samson was a mighty warrior, and one, in one day, in one battle, he killed a thousand men with nothing but the jawbone of a donkey by himself. He could just do extraordinary things. He wrestled, he kills a lion with his bare hands. He could just do extraordinary things with his strength. He knew his strength, and everybody knew his strength. He was a man, if anybody knew strength, Samson knew about strength. And at the same time, if anybody knew about weakness, Samson knew about weakness. Amen? He was a very strong man in some areas, but a very weak man in others. Can you identify with that at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're strong in some areas. We're weak in others. So Samson had some pretty good weaknesses. And how many of you know, you realize, you know, we've had a lot of uh, storms and tornadoes here lately. You know what causes those? It's when a really strong cold front comes in and meets a really strong warm front. When those two strong fronts meet, 
it creates a storm, it creates a tornado. And so when our strengths are strong and our weaknesses are strong, it creates a perfect storm in our life. One or the other has got to eventually start losing strength. And that's one thing, if you don't get anything I get today, you have to understand this, that one or the other in our life is going to start getting stronger than the other. Either our strengths are gonna get stronger than our weaknesses or our weaknesses are gonna get stronger than our strengths. Did everybody get that? Because I, I, I assure you that Satan is doing everything he can to pump life into your weaknesses. The weaker you are, the stronger he is. The weaker God's church is, the stronger the power and darkness of hell is. Amen? But the vice versa obviously is true. The stronger God's people are, the weaker Satan becomes. And so we have this force pumping life into our weaknesses. We have to decide what's going to be stronger in my life. And I'm telling you something, it's not something that we can take passively. It's not something that you can, like I said, this is not a, a sermon. It's not something you can just take lightly. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll just live my life and we'll see what plays out, whether I get stronger or whether I get weaker. You'll get weaker. Amen. This perfect storm that took place in Samson's life. He was a very strong man, but he was also a very weak man. And here's the key. If you don't hear anything I say today, I need you to hear this. And I'll stand really still so that my static don't cover up what I'm about to say. Amen? Samson's weaknesses got stronger through his... Samson's weaknesses got stronger than his strength through compromise. He was a strong man, but his weaknesses overcame his strength through compromise. What is compromise? It's when we give in just a little bit here and a little bit there. It's when we give in and we do the wrong thing even though we know what the right thing is. Compromise is a slippery slope, okay? When we start down the road of compromise and we give in just a little, it gets easier to give in the next time. And then it gets easier to give in the next time. And, and before we know it, you can be completely caught up and weaknesses can completely be in control of you and you don't even realize what happened. See, Samson was a Nazarite, which meant that back in, in the Old Testament times, when a, when a Jew would take the uh, vow of a Nazarite, there were three things, that, main three things that that person could not do. And the vow of a Nazarite basically meant that they were, they were consecrating themselves, or in other words, they were separating themselves apart from everybody else. They were living life different than everybody else so that they could be more given to God's uh, calling. And there were three basic things. I'm going to change mics. Testing, one, two. There were three basic things that a Nazarite could not do if he wanted to be this separated person unto God. One, he was never allowed to eat or drink anything that was grown from a vine. Couldn't eat grapes, raisins, prunes, couldn't drink wine, nothing that came from a vine. He had to leave that alone. Uh, he was never supposed to be around a dead body, any kind of carcass. I mean, if a loved one passed away, he couldn't go to the funeral. He was never supposed to be around a dead body. Third thing, they didn't cut their hair. Okay, so Samson was a Nazarite. He was supposed to uphold all three of these things in his life. But what we find when you read through the entire account of, of Samson, what we find is a little compromise here, a little compromise there. He's very strong and God's using him in a, in a mighty way. But one day he kills a lion that attacked him. It was bare hands. 
And a few weeks later, he's passing by where that lion's carcass is. And by now, it's already starting to decay. It's just kind of a pile of bones. And bees come and made up their home in that carcass and got their hive going. And honey was dripping from this hive, this honeycomb, inside the lion's carcass. So Samson, this very strong man, He walks up and he sees this carcass, he sees the honey, and he had the same kind of weakness I've got. He loved his sweets. Amen. How many of you sweet lovers out there? Shout shout, amen. 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 The rest of you are a bunch of liars. That's my problem, man. Sweets get me. I've told you before, I've got this love affair with little Debbie, and I just cannot get over her. Uh, A sweet tooth and a half. In fact, just talking about it makes me hungry for a a ho-ho, Jeff. Uh... Let's see, what was I talking about? I got myself on food. Oh, the, he sees the honey dripping, and he, he, he has this weakness for sweets, and he thinks, man, that honey looks good. I'm hungry. Now, he knows I'm not supposed to be around a dead carcass. That's what he knows. But the honey, his weakness overcame his strength, and he compromised. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? And that's the way Satan ultimately operates, by the way, in our life. If he can get you to sin against God and think that it's no big deal, he's just one. Amen? That's why the Bible teaches us to be on guard, to always be alert, because the devil, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is cunning. He's subtle. So if he can convince you that something that's wrong is okay and not that big a deal, then he gets you to do the smaller thing. Then he gets you to do the little bit bigger thing. Then he gets you to do the little bit bigger thing. And before you know it, he's got control. And that's what happened with Samson. Not that big a deal. It's a little honey. So he takes the honey. He eats it. No harm, no foul. He goes off. And he's still just as strong physically as he ever was. But he's begun the compromise process. Please guard yourself against the compromise process. I've been down that road. I've been down that road. And many of you have. Begin to compromise. It leads you places you didn't want to go. Very few people who are addicted to, uh, to meth, let's say, or to some sort of really hard drug didn't intend to get addicted that way. They, they gave a little, and this applies to anything. It applies to pornography. It applies to, to drugs. It applies to uh, success. I mean, you name it. Anything, uh, money, I mean, you name it. Something that begins to lure you into it, and you, it will take you further. You just, it takes, sin, sin takes us places we just didn't intend to go. And Samson takes the honey, no big deal. A little bit later, we find where Samson had another weakness that uh, all of us men struggle with. He loved his women. How many of you love your woman? Pat her on the back. Say, I love my woman. Samson, though, loved a lot of women. Okay, now that's where the real problem comes in. And not only did he like a lot of women, but he had a tendency to flock towards prostitutes. And not only just any old prostitute, but women from other nationalities. Okay? Um, And God... And that's not a mixed race. It's not that God didn't want races intermixed. Here's the problem with it. God said to the Jews in that day, God said, I want you to only marry Jews because if you start marrying uh, into other lands and other tribes, their gods will start to influence you. That was the problem, not because they came from a different different ethnic background, but because they worshiped different gods. And so Samson, he really was intrigued and attracted to women who came from different countries who worship false gods. And he ignored the fact that they weren't godly people and he yet still took them in. So this compromise that begins to take place in Samson's life and he's joining himself to ladies he's not supposed to join himself to. He wants to marry a Philistine woman. 
He's not supposed to marry a Philistine woman. He's supposed to marry a Jew. Let me pause right there, I guess, and say, young people, you're not supposed to marry unbelievers. Amen? If you're a Christian, you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. You shouldn't even date an unbeliever. God called us to come equally yoked together for Christians to marry Christians. Amen? And Samson ignored that, and he found himself in relationships that weren't pleasing to God, and his strength just got weaker and weaker and weaker, and his weakness just got stronger and stronger and stronger through every single compromise. That's just the way that it works. Until we find, you know, and I'm not going to go through the entire, you know the story. You know, Samson eventually compromises completely, and he tells Delilah, who was a prostitute, by the way, that he got in a relationship with. She's after him. What's, your, what's the source of your strength? What's the source of your strength? And he finally tells her, if my hair is cut, then I'm going to be weak like any other man. And here's, the, here's the, the scary part. This is the part that I think should make the uh, hair stand up on the back of our heads. Is that he goes to sleep one night and she's petting him. He's laying his head on her lap and she's like, oh, Samson, just, you've had a hard day. Why don't you take a nap? And so he, he drifts off to sleep. And while he's asleep, she takes a razor and she shaves his head. Samson jumps up and the Philistines, his greatest enemy... The Philistines wanted nothing more than to destroy Samson. The Philistine king laid awake at night trying to figure out how he could get rid of Samson. That's how bad he hated them. That's how bad Satan hates you and I. Satan, Satan spends every waking moment thinking of how he can destroy and weaken God's people. And Samson, he wakes up and she said, Samson, the Philistines are here. They're upon you. And he jumps out. And here's the part that always kind of makes me shiver a little. The, part, the, the Bible says that Samson jumps up and he goes out to fight the Philistines, not knowing that his strength had departed. He went out to fight them like any other day. His strength had completely departed and he didn't recognize it. And he goes and he fights with the enemy, the same enemy that he had conquered and defeated over and over and over again. That same army took him captive. Amen? The things that you and I battle, the, the, the way that the enemy comes against us, the traps that are set for every one of us. And I, you've heard me say this a lot. If, if somehow every morning before you go out of your house that you could pull back a curtain and look into the spiritual realm, and you, you could see the demonic powers of hell that hate you so much. And you could see the traps. And you could see uh, the snares and the stumbling blocks that Satan has placed in front of you. you, you would, you'd go back in the house and curl up in the fetal position. The enemy that hates us so much. And when we give and we give and we give, there's a numbness that takes place through compromise. See, because the Holy Spirit is faithful to us as God's people to let us know when we're doing something that's wrong. If you're about to do something, look at something, say something, and it's a sin against God, the Holy Spirit will, will speak to you and, and, and help you to know that's not right. A lot of times we call it our conscience. It's not just your conscience. It's the, it's the Spirit of God that is saying, no, don't do it. And every time we push past that and we do it anyway. Every time we ignore that voice, that voice gets just a little softer. That, that voice gets just a little weaker. And sin gets just a little easier. 
We can get to the point where the Bible says our, our conscience is seared with a hot iron. Where we can just sin and we can just do whatever we want to do and not feel bad about it. And folks, we don't ever want to get into that place. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. Allow him to convict you before, during, and after you sin. Amen? Don't let compromise have its control over you. You'll lose your strength. Samson lost it. And he went and he's, now he's taken captive by his greatest enemy. He finds himself now, they, they took his eyes out. Okay, once they had him captured, they literally poked his eyeballs out of his head. And they took him and they bound him up with chains and they put him in the mill where he just worked and he ground and he just sweat and blood and they beat him and they made fun of him. They would bring Samson in on their big festivals and they would say, look here, our greatest enemy, and we, we defeated him and they would make fun. You can imagine the thoughts. Of, I know what regret is like. How many of you know what regret is like? And regret is so tormenting, isn't it? Regret is torturous, when, especially when you know you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. It's a horrible feeling. And, and Samson has this feeling as he's, his life now is, is just horrible, and he knows I have nobody to blame but myself. Why did I compromise? He probably thought back to the day that he ate the honey. It was no big deal. It didn't seem like a big deal. But now, here he is. I don't know. Can we... Can we make this, how do we make this relative today? I mean, we don't have Nazarite vows per se. You and I can go out and you can eat honey out of a lion's dead body if you want to. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could do it. Not going to be a sin against God. But how many of you know sometimes when you're flipping through the channels, something comes on and it's just not holy? There's just a lot of temptation there. And I don't have to elaborate. You know what I'm talking about. We have a decision to make, and we can, if we compromise and we watch that that is unholy, then the next time it's that much easier. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but that's how sin works. I love you too much not to tell you that this morning, amen? And, and I don't say this from the perspective that, oh, I've conquered sin and temptation, and I've conquered compromise, and I've never compromised, so I'm here to tell you how it's done. Not at all. I'm here to tell you from from experience that compromise and sin never did me any favors. I hate regret. So many times I've been in a place I think, oh, Dennis, if you just hadn't of, if you just hadn't of this, and if you just hadn't of that, I'm just, I'm over the hadness. Amen? I'm tired of the hadness. And I just want to do what God want, wants me to do. I want my strengths to gain traction. Amen? And my weaknesses to lose their grip. Samson, although his weaknesses overcame his strength through compromise. Here's the good news. The story had a happy ending because Jesus specializes in happy endings. Amen? Jesus loves a happy ending just the same as anybody. And Jesus died and bled on the cross of Calvary so that every person can have a happy ending. And so Samson is at a place now where he's a prisoner. You remember how it happened? They're having a big party, the Philistines. Bring Samson in. They're all drunk. They're having a party, and they're bragging how their gods delivered Samson into their hands. And Samson comes in, and he's at his absolute lowest point. His strength is gone. His weaknesses are strong. And, but his strength returned to him. His strength got stronger than his weakness, through two things I want to present to you this morning. Humility and repentance. We've talked a lot about repentance over the past few weeks. Samson humbled himself 
and he realized, I can't get myself out of this mess. I realize that I've sinned against God. And he begins to cry out to God for mercy, for forgiveness, for love. I can hear him, God, I'm so sorry. I wish I'd have never ate that honey. I wish I'd have never looked twice at that Philistine woman, those prostitutes. I wish that I would have just obeyed you and operated in the strengths that you gave me. I wish I'd have never, wished I'd have never, wished I'd have never. But all of the wished I'd nevers doesn't change anything. Amen? It doesn't fix it. It doesn't undo it. But he says, God, I'm sorry for all of that. I repent of all of that. And I'm asking you for one last time, God, that, your, that my strength, that your strength would return to me. The Bible says that he grabs a hold of the pillars of the building and all of the strength of God come rushing back in because that's the kind of God that we serve. Hallelujah. Did Samson deserve that? No. But God brought all, and all of that strength of God washed away, moved away, pushed away his weaknesses, and he pushed the, the columns, and the house came crumbling down, and the Bible says that he actually killed more people that day than he had ever killed in all of his life and in all of his battles. It was his greatest victory. So before you allow Satan to come in and lie to you and convince you that you've sinned against God or your weakness, you're weak and, and you'll never have victory again, I'm here to tell you that I believe with all of my heart the same God that, that, that helped Samson in that day can make sure that your stronger, better days are ahead as well. Your, our weaknesses can actually, what is that scripture? Forgive me, I just, this just popped in my head. But it, it says, uh, um, oh, God will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. Have you ever noticed that? Will with the temptation make a way of escape? Do you know that sometimes our weaknesses become, become our strengths? You know how? Because we can get so sick of our sin and what it does to us and what it does to other people that the reminder of our past sins can literally fuel our obedience to God in the future. I don't want to go back to that, we say. We talk about another man. Hang a left here and turn into turn back to Numbers, chapter number thirteen. Numbers chapter number, number thirteen, um, verse twenty five is where I'm going to start reading. Let me paint a little bit of a background here. Um, so, you know, Israel. God has delivered Israel out of Egyptian slavery. He's taking them across the desert to give them their own land, that they can be their own nation and their own people. They get to that land, and God, or, uh, Moses sends 12 people, 12 men, into the land of promise to spy it out. He said, I want you to go over, take a look, see what it's all about, and bring a report back to us of what that land that God has promises it looks like. So those 12 men, they go, they look, they come back, and they bring the report. Now, this is where we pull up here. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And that's where they should have stopped. 
okay? So these guys go in, they see the land, and they're like, man, this land truly, you can grow, it's a great land, and God's given it to us, and they, they pick, you can read up further ahead of that, they literally pick a, a branch, a cluster of grapes, one cluster of grapes, takes two men to carry that one cluster of grapes back on a pole. They're like, yeah, this is a great land. Here's the fruit. You just wouldn't believe it. And then this one word that literally flips the whole scenario. Say it with me. However, or but. In ESV, however, yeah, it's a great land and God promised it, but here, however, the people that are there who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. You know who the descendants of Anak are? Uh, Goliath was one of them. Giants in the land. The Amalekites, Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So you can see everybody getting all stirred up. Okay, out of 12 spies, 10 of them were cowards. 10 of them were convincing everybody we could never, ever conquer that land. Yeah, it's great, but the people are huge, and they're everywhere. They're in the sea. They're in the mountains. We're, we would never be able to defeat them. Their weakness, the weakness of the Israelites was that they feared their enemies' strengths. You know, Jesus said this. He said, don't fear man, which can only kill your body. Fear God, who can kill both body and soul in hell. Their greatest weakness was just that they didn't Realize how strong God was. We can't defeat these people. But look at this man, Caleb. This is the guy that we should aspire to be like. Caleb and Joshua, but we're going to speak about Caleb specifically. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Caleb said, you bunch of wimps, what are you whining about? We should, be, we should be getting our boots on and getting our swords. We should be going in there right now and taking what God has already said we're going to take. Caleb's strength was the fact that he trusted in God's strength. And you know that's all God asked of any of us? Is that we would just understand and believe how mighty and how strong God is and that he has our best interest at heart? And that our weaknesses should be nothing when we think about them compared to the strength of God. Caleb said, no, we're, we can do this because God is with us. Caleb was a stud. He was a, he was a man of faith. And at this point in time, he was about 45 years old. He was in the prime of his life. Right? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what the prime is. I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm in my prime. I'm probably on my way down. But, but Caleb, you know, that day people live longer. But Caleb was 45 years old. And that is, no, let's go, let's take it. He was strong in might and strong in faith. And then we find where Caleb lost the vote, okay? I mean, if you know, if you got 12 people and 10 people agree, they get the vote, okay? But those 10 people turn the hearts of Israel and say, we could never do it. Long story short, let me convince it. God says, okay, you don't want my land of promise, then you're gonna die in the wilderness and I'll raise up your kids. I'll raise up another generation. I'll take them in. To get it. And all of the people of Israel, millions of people in the land of Israel, none of you are going to go into the promised land except for, guess who it was? Joshua and Caleb. So, flash forward 40 years, everybody's dropped dead. If Caleb was 40 years old, whenever he said, let's go take it, 
and you flash forward 45 years, how old is he now? 85 years old. So if you go into Joshua, chapter number 14, and verse 6, this is an 85-year-old man. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, Kenizzite, said to him, You know that the Lord, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the serpent, serpent, excuse me, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought him word again what was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And by the way, if you look up Caleb, every place in Scripture where it refers to Caleb, it says this about him. He wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning fully, completely followed the Lord. That's what, it, that's what the Word of God testifies about Caleb. He wholly and completely followed God. If, if your name was in Scripture, would it say that about you? And he goes on to say this. By the way, you got to realize that they've already conquered the land now. Flash forward. They went on into the promised land. They fought all of those giants. They fought all of those armies. And they won, just like God said they would. And now they're divvying up the land. The land of, you know, the tribe of Dan will have this land. The tribe of, you know, I forget all their names, will have this land. And they're dividing the land up among the tribes of Israel. And Caleb comes to Joshua, who's leading the divvying. And he says, look, I want what God said I can have. Look at this. I love this. God said to me, Moses swore on that day, verse 9, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Basically, I look at it like this. Caleb got to pick his place. And all the land is God's dividing it up. Caleb, because he wholly followed the Lord, got to pick the land that he wanted. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. While Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. Look at this. I love it. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then. I'm just 85 years old. I'm just as strong right now at 85 years old as I was when I was 40. This man only got stronger as the years went by. His faith and his trust in God only got stronger through the years. Even in the 40 years that he's wandering in the wilderness and he's watching all of his, pe his friends and his people die. 45 years is a long time to wait for a promise of God, amen? I get, I get whiny when I pray for something today and it don't happen by sundown. 45 years he waited for the promises of God and his faith never weakened. You know why? Because he didn't want to be weak. He wanted to be strong and now here he is, 85 years old, he's ready to go take on the giants. He's ready to fight the giants and get what God said he could have. And he did, by the way. Hallelujah. I'm as strong today as I was back then. My strength's have only gotten stronger. Can you imagine, folks, what your life would look like if you can imagine your life in 45 years and God just had his way in you? 
Try to imagine what that would look like. You, you, you didn't buck God. You didn't fight God. You didn't resist God. You just today said, Lord, here's my strengths. I offer them to you. Here's my weaknesses. I admit them to you. Please let my strengths get stronger and my weaknesses get weaker. Can you imagine what you will look like, what your life would be like in 45 years of God just having his way with you? I know what our life would look like in 45 years if the devil has his way with us. Amen? He destroys. God said, oh, no, I've got, I've got a much better plan for you than that. What would our church churches be like if for the next 45 years we say, God, show us what our strengths are. Help us to do them well. Don't let our weaknesses have any hold. Paul said it like this. We've got to come to, to grips. Paul had a, he had a good way. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Paul had a, a really good mentality of how to deal with his weakness. We find, you can read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had what he referred to as a thorn in the flesh. Something that just got on his nerves. Something that was just hard. It was a difficulty in his life. We don't know what that thorn is. There's a lot of speculation of what the thorn, his thorn in the flesh was. It really doesn't matter. The bottom line was there was something. It was a weakness that was just constantly hindering Paul and constantly being a pain in the, in the neck to Paul. And so he, he says he brings that weakness, he brings that thorn to God. And he said, God, why don't you just take this away? Have you ever prayed that, something bad going on in your life? And you say, God, why don't you just take this away? It makes, per, it makes more sense to us that God would just take the weakness and take the bad stuff out of our life so we don't have to deal with it. And Paul says, yeah, why don't you just take this thorn away Three times he asked God, and all three times God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough to help you that that weakness will not destroy you. And this is what Paul said. I'm going to read this to you. This is what he, this is what he determined. This is how he decides to take on his weakness. Uh, chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm going to brag on my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My point is this, that Paul's weaknesses lost strength in his life through the grace of God. Your Strength can overcome your weaknesses only through the grace of God. I could get up here and give you a 10-step program for how you can be a better you. A 10-step program for how you can overcome weaknesses in your life and turn things around. And if you'll do this and you'll do this and you'll do this and that and something else, then you'll just be this super Christian. It just don't work like that. Amen. We are what we are because of the grace of God, period. We're only saved because God gave us his grace and his love. And if we conquer anything in this life, it'll be because of the grace of God. David said, for you, God, you equipped me with strength for the battle. I love that. God, you equipped me with strength for the battle. David was another man that understood strengths and weaknesses. I won't go into all of that. But here's the thing. Based on my perspective from up here, everybody in this room is human, okay? That's just based on my perspective. We're all human, which means all of us are strong in some areas. And I thank God for that. 
You know, as we stand around here, this church, you know why this church operates? It's because people operate in their strengths. They find out what they're strong at, what they're good at, and they, they do that. They commit it to God and only have a desire to do it better. But can we, this morning, as human beings, just be honest with ourselves, be honest with God? I would love, 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 as the, as the worship team comes, I would love for weaknesses to lose this morning. I would love for chains to be broken this morning. I, uh, I don't want this. I, this is the way I've prayed this morning as I prepared for this. Uh, and uh, I actually talked longer than I, I really meant to. But my prayer is this, that I, I don't just preach a sermon about this kind of stuff. That I don't just talk to you for 30, 40 minutes and then we go about our way, and it, it doesn't do anything. I just I think that the Word of God should do something in our life. Do you believe that this morning? That the Word of God has the power to actually change things in our life. So my prayer is that this isn't just a sermon, but that it's literally a pivotal point in your life. So everybody, you come to God honestly before Him. Maybe you can, and you're in a place where you're operating in those strengths and you can feel your faith getting stronger. Guard that. Pray for that. God, only make my faith, only make me stronger. Maybe you're struggling with a weakness. Maybe it's a compromising sin that just keeps coming back and it's just, it's like a, it's like a gnawing, it's like a chihuahua. Sorry for you chihuahua lovers out there. But you know, they're just, they're, they're always right there on your... And that, that sin, that compromising sin that's just always there and you're kicking at it and you just want to be free from it, but it seems like it always is gaining strength in your life. I just believe today that if you'll put your faith and put your trust in God and what he has said to you, that that weakness will start getting weaker.